eavesdropped, I eavesdropped on a couple of conversations, and a gentleman in the back right about there said a minivan was his dream car. Was that what you were saying, sir? Oh, he's, he's kind of pleading the fifth. Okay. Somebody said a minivan. Maybe it's like a swagger wagon or whatever that one, that Toyota one was. My, okay, my dream car, since I was a little kid, has always been some sort of convertible. And yes, I have lived in Minnesota since I was a little kid. <laughs> so it's really like kind of a dream car for real if it's going to be a convertible. However, there was a moment in my life when I went through kind of a, a rough breakup when I bought my friend's rusted out Cabrio convertible for like $1,500, which was more than I should have paid, but I was going through a breakup. And it was a coping strategy. And that's all I'm going to say about that story for now, but I can tell you more later if you want to know. I want to offer a special welcome to any of you who are maybe visiting for one of the first few times or you've been just connecting with Mill City recently. I know it takes a lot of courage to come into a space with people that you don't necessarily know, that you're just getting to know, and I just want you to know we genuinely are glad that you're here. And the courtyard that Adobe mentioned earlier is right out these doors here. We've got apple donuts this morning. I know, right. And we would love for any of you who are maybe just getting connected for the first time, I'd love to meet you. Come find me. We'll get some people together and just talk a little bit about what Mill City is all about. Would love the chance to do that. So please let me have that chance. Um, as a pastor, I've actually spent a lot of time trying to come alongside people who are church shopping, for lack of a better way to put it. I love Mill City, obviously, but I know that it's not the best church for everybody. And so I've had a lot of conversations with people about what does it look like to find a healthy church for them and for their family. And so through all these conversations, not once has anybody said, I love church shopping. Nobody says that. In fact, I remember at least twice someone said something like, I feel like it's just weird because it's like I feel like I'm going car shopping. And I know I'm not supposed to feel that way, but it still kind of feels like that. I know it's not supposed to be like a consumer experience, but some people feel that way, right? Like they're coming into a service and then they feel like we're taking it for a test drive, but I don't, it's weird, but it feels like that, right? I'm taking it for a test drive. We're seeing how the seats feel. You know, does this air conditioner work still? And, and let's see if there's any good surround sound on the speakers and these kinds of things. I feel like these are questions that people sometimes have when they're wondering about a church and it feels weird because it feels like similar to car shopping, which is so weird. But I think that that's some people's experience, like metaphorically speaking. But here's the question that I actually want to bring up today, because when people are having an experience of looking for a faith community, they're asking the question, why this church? What, what is it about this church? Is this the church for me? But the question that I want us to sit with today that I think is a, a, a attention question that some of us in this room have wondered, some of you listening online have wondered, and that is the question, why church at all? Why, why church at all? And I, I don't think that it's shocking to see why people might be asking that question. Why church at all? This is a question I've been asking in my life with sincerity for over 20 years. I think one of the things I, I love and know about Mill City is that all of y'all have a very diverse background when it comes to your spiritual upbringing, like whether you grew up in church or not. Very different experiences amongst all of you, which I think is really a, a wonderful thing. So everyone's had different experiences, but, but my experience growing up was as a kid in a ministry family. My dad was a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor, and amongst my aunts and uncles and cousins, there's like a gaggle of missionaries and worship leaders and people like that. This is kind of a weird like family business type thing. And, and the thing that was tough for me is as I was growing up and expanding as a person and coming into you know, my later teen years, 
I began to kind of deconstruct, I guess I would say. I started to deconstruct what I was seeing around me in the church and in the ministries that my parents were a part of. I was asking all these questions. And what had become clear to me early on was that the brokenness that I saw in the church was the norm. Because the brokenness of people is the norm. And I have to be honest with you that in the middle of that deconstruction, this was a really painful but important process for me as a person. And maybe some of you can resonate with that. And I was in the middle of that deconstruction and that wondering why church in the first place when I started to feel a sense that I was maybe supposed to move towards vocational ministry as somebody who might lead in the church. So you can see that was a little bit of a tension for me, right? I was in a little bit of a difficult spot because if God's created me to lead this thing, but I got a lot of questions about it. And I'm feeling a lot of, I'll be honest, like cynicism about it. I'm watching and hearing stories about people that were really hurt. And I'm wondering what was going on at different times. So I'm feeling like I'm stuck in this difficult spot where I'm feeling disillusioned. I'm feeling like I've got a lot of questions, yet I'm feeling like God's drawing me to this, this thing that we do together that we call church. So I tried to figure out how to reconcile that in my mind and my heart, and it was really challenging. And it came down for me to kind of two options that I felt that I had at the time. This is back when I was in my very early 20s. I felt like I could either kind of walk away from the church and say, look, this thing has hurt too many people, and I, I just don't think I can be a part of it. This thing has lost its purpose, and people don't know where it's going. Or I felt the other option for me was to decide that I was going to be a part of following Jesus and leading the change that could come. That even though the, the brokenness was the norm, that, that there were broken people like me that could be a part of just taking next steps. Spoiler alert, I chose the second thing, obviously, because here we are. But this was a big decision for me, and I committed to this only because I believed, and I still believe, that redemption is possible. And I believe that, that Jesus is strong enough that there is nothing that is so broken that Jesus can't repair it. And I believe, and I still believe, that, that there is nothing that is so desecrated or so ruined that God can't reconsecrate it and can't redeem it. That's what I had to choose to believe to take these next steps. And so I began this careful process of carefully reconstructing what I understood about God and faith and people and the church. And as I did that, I came alongside a few other folks who were going to give it a go, starting a new church in Northeast Minneapolis in 2008. And here we are. I, I almost walked away from the church altogether, but here we are. So we could probably have like an open mic night that would take like all night for people to come up and to share some stories of disillusionment with the church, big C I sometimes call it, like the global church, or with a local church experience that you had. I bet we could fill a lot of time telling those stories. And that brings us to this question, that's why it's so important, in my opinion, that we ask this question, why church? Because so many people, either you are asking it or people around you are asking that. And so my hope through this conversation, as we look at the Acts, at the, as the book of Acts and at the epistles and the letters that were written to the early church, my hope is that you will discover or you will clarify your answer to this question. That, that you will maybe deepen your answer to this question. And together, as a community, my hope is that we would pursue God's hope for the church. The church, big C, but also little C, right? A big C, like capital C, like the global church. But also God's hope for this 
local church. So I think the best place to start in answering this question is to go back to the beginning. Let's look at the beginning of the church. When the church was birthed, what was happening? When the church began to spread, what were the circumstances? And how does that help us answer the question, why church, here and now, 2,000 years later? So if you have a Bible or an app, we're going to turn to Acts 2. Some people say that, that the book of Acts is called, called that because it means Acts of the Apostles. But I think it's better put Acts of the Holy Spirit, the actions of the Holy Spirit. And I think as we start reading, you'll understand why I think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we start reading in the beginning of Acts 2, I want to just set the stage for us for a minute, okay? As Pastor Ashish talked about last week, Jesus died, but he came back to life. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, this brought salvation. God had saved people from sin and brokenness, but also saved people for a purpose and a mission in joining God's kingdom. And, and this was an incredible reality for people. And so before Jesus, so Jesus comes back to life, and before he leaves this earth, he tells his disciples, his followers, he says to them, now you get to go and tell people that there is a way to be saved from sin and brokenness and saved for mission and purpose in the kingdom of God, both. But then he says something really interesting. Jesus says, but I want you to wait. I know this is big news. It's exciting, but don't, don't do anything yet. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, we don't know what other description they were given about what that would mean or what that would look like, but Jesus told them to wait. So they wait. They decide to wait. Now, one morning, the disciples are all together in Jerusalem, and there was a Jewish holiday that was being celebrated together, and in Hebrew, it was called Shavuot. And in Greek, it was called Pentecost. Shavuot in, in Hebrew means weeks, and in Pentecost means 50, because it is 50 days after Passover. And the Passover meal was another huge Jewish feast, right? And incidentally, that was the last time they had had a feast together as Jewish people, and Jesus was with them, remember? This was the night that Jesus was taken and then faced the cross the next day. So that didn't end well that last night together. So here they are 50 days later, and all of these people have come to Jerusalem from all over the place because that's what people would do for a Jewish feast. And so they've all come to this place 50 days after Passover. Okay, I'm going to just take like a little Bible nerd moment. I know there's other Bible nerds out here. Now, how many weeks is 50 days? Someone said it. It's seven Seven, and if you're a Bible nerd or like a theology geek, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I know you, I see you with your eyes, like what is it? Seven is this important number. You see it all through the Bible. It's the number of completion. It's the number of completion. And so here we go, seven weeks, actually 50 is seven weeks in one day. So the next day after Passover, Jesus goes to the cross. And so seven weeks after Jesus goes to the cross, the time has come, the complete and perfect time, this moment for Jesus' church to be birthed. And so we start reading in Acts 2, 1 through 6. And what I want you to do is just imagine that you were there, okay? Jesus has told you to wait. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and that separated and came to rest on them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven had come because of the, of the feast. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Okay, so can we just try to put our heads in what it would have been like to be these disciples? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but the last time they were getting together for a feast, it was the last supper that they had with Jesus, and it didn't end well at all. I mean, he came back to life, but that was a rough night, right? And I wonder if anyone was curious, okay, we're having another festival. Maybe this is when the Holy Spirit's going to come. Maybe some people were feeling that way. I'm wondering, was anybody having like minor PTSD? They might have been, you know. My imagination goes to like Thomas is being a little snippy with Peter and then Mary turns to Martha and is like, sounds like a trauma response to me, you know. But here we go. <laughs> they're in this experience and they're in this scene in this room and you think about this reality that when Jesus came incarnate as the person of the Trinity, he came as this little baby with no power this little baby that had no might. But when the Holy Spirit comes incarnate in this way, it comes as a sound like, it's interesting because Luke who's writing this says a sound like wind, not necessarily it is wind. And, and, it, and the Holy Spirit comes like fire on top of people's heads. But Luke is like struggling to figure out how to put this experience into words. And so here we go. I think they would have been freaking out, but apparently it doesn't say they were freaking out. I would have been freaking out. But instead, the opposite happens. It says in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As the Spirit enabled them. Now, that word, enabled, we could also think of it as, as the Spirit gave them power to do so. Or as the Spirit empowered them. Here we see the first moment of the Holy Spirit empowering people to do something that they could never do on their own. Why church? Because the Holy Spirit burst it. Why church? Because there's no church without the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps that going without the Spirit's empowerment is what makes the church today so toxic. And perhaps that's a question for us about what it looks like to surrender to the Holy Spirit. This moment that happened here, the Christians now call it Pentecost. They're borrowing that from the ancient Jewish tradition. And it's just the beginning of the Holy Spirit empowering people, isn't it? When you read through the story in Acts and you look at what God has done even now in the last 2,000 years, I've had so many experiences where I just say, this doesn't make sense without the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. And so the Holy Spirit then empowers them not just to do this miracle of speaking other languages, but to live out the words and the works and the ways of Jesus in all these powerful ways. The Spirit continued to empower them. So in this moment, they're speaking to the people, and people can understand them. And then it says that Peter began, began to give a sermon. And so basically, Peter says to everybody who's listening, I imagine that they can understand him in their language as well. Peter starts to say, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. He can save you from sin and brokenness, and he can save you for a purpose in the kingdom of God. And he tells people this. And then we go into this story, if you skip over to Acts 241. Let me read to you what happens next. The response to Peter's sermon here is this. 
those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the description of how the early church was trying to live out the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. Why church? Because the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus are things that we live out as individuals, but we see in the story that why church? Because when people live out the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus together, there's a power that's not there when people do it on their own. If I had to summarize this description of the church here in Acts, Acts 2, 41 through 46, 47, if I had to summarize it, I would, I would say this, and I'll put it up on the screen. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to offer three things. Hope in Jesus, belonging in, commun in community, and purpose on mission. Hope in Jesus, belonging in community, and purpose on mission. That's what you see with this idea of that people are coming to hear about Jesus, more are being added, they're going to get together in homes. It multiple times says that they were eating together, so that means we need to eat. Donuts later. But yes, we come together and you eat, and then it says that there's, they're figuring out how to meet people's needs, this clear mission that Jesus had them on. Now look at this. If you are a Mill City person, you know we often talk about how our three core relationships that we saw Jesus prioritize was our up relationship with God, our in relationship in community, and our out relationship loving the people that God's calling us to love. So look how these three things are those three relationships. When we say this up relationship with God, together we share hope in Jesus. When we say our in relationship with community, together we offer to people belonging in community. When we say our out relationship, where we're meeting the needs that people have and loving the people that God's calling us to love, together we live as a church that joins God's mission together with Jesus as the leader. So why church? Because when the church when the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, we together can offer hope and belonging and purpose in the world. Okay, I'm sorry I'm doing this. I got a second Bible nerd moment, all right? Someone groaned, I heard that. All right, so the second one is, has anybody heard in literature today or in the past of a chiastic structure to literature? All right, chiastic structure, this is what it looks like. This passage that I just read in Acts has it. It's this symmetrical pattern where the, the beginning and the end are the same, and then these two things are the same, and then right in the center you've got a repeated line. And it happens in lots of pieces of literature, and in, in Acts here, Luke uses a chiastic structure, talking about they broke bread together, that's why he mentions it twice. So you see this kind of structure. Now, I know you won't be able to read this, but if you were to put this part of scripture that I just read into the chiastic structure, it would look like this. And what I want you to see is, like, why? Why would this be so important? Like, cool, Luke, cool writing technique. No, it's not just a cool writing technique. When people are using the chiastic structure, what they're trying to say is, this is a communication, this is complete. There it is again, completeness. 
Seven, the number of completion. And now this structure that's saying, look at what God is doing through this church. It's like coming full circle and it's saying this, this, we're tying up all the loose ends. This is what these people were about. This is how they figured out together how to sum up everything that they had experienced with Jesus. And we see them living out these three things in deeper ways, of course, throughout the book of Acts. But it's actually these three things in the chiastic structure Lacey can show you. It's hope in Jesus, belonging in community, purpose on mission, purpose on mission, belonging in community, hope in Jesus. With hope in Jesus as the bookend of this chiastic structure. This is huge. This is such a deep moment for the people who would have been reading this where we might miss that because we're not reading it in Greek. So why church? Because when empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church offers hope, belonging, and purpose in the world. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the truth is that the church, we, we don't always live up to God's hope for us, do we? And we know that. We see it on the front page of the newspaper, don't we? We see the, the way that Christians or the church today is making it in the news, and we look at that and we go, that is, I don't think that's what Jesus was hoping for. Like, Jesus may have a cease and desist out for his name at this point. And so when we look at this, we're going, okay, we don't live up to this. This reality that I was uh, sharing with you earlier, what I discovered in my 20s, that the brokenness of the church is the norm, because the brokenness of, of humans is the norm. And I will be the first to admit that Mill City Church isn't exempt from that brokenness. We do experience that. When we go car shopping, we might have our dream car in mind, but we know it's a dream, right? Which means we're probably not going to actually have a reality that that's our car. And when we look for a church, there's no dream church. I mean, you might have one in your mind, but, but the reality is, is every church is just broken people that we're hoping are doing the best that they can. Remember I told you that my dad was a pastor too? He used to always say this. He used to be like, well, listen, there's no perfect church. But if you miraculously find one, it's not going to be perfect anymore because you're going to be there. <laughs> he, used to, he used to say that all the time. But here's the choice that we have. We all have this choice as individuals, as families, as groups of friends, and as a larger church community. We get to choose, are we going to surrender and be empowered by the Holy Spirit and in so doing, hope to be people that can offer hope in Jesus and community of belonging and a, a real opportunity for purpose on mission. Because it's interesting. So some theologians have actually compared the church to a vehicle, okay? Not because we're trying to all think about car shopping necessarily, but some have said the church is a vehicle for God's mission. The church is a vehicle for God's mission. And the reason why it's helpful to think that way is because we can recognize that God's mission is something that God could have done without us. I mean, is God, right? God could have done the mission without us, but decided to, out of grace and love, to invite us to join in that mission. And God's mission has a church that is able to embody that mission. And the reason it's helpful to use the metaphor of a vehicle is because the church is supposed to be moving advancing, going forward, going somewhere together. So I can understand that it's when you're taking a church for a test drive, okay, it, metaphorically, you wonder like how the seats feel or if the stereo sounds good. You see where I'm going metaphorically, right, with the stereo. Or like how's the AC working? Doesn't work in this building, there isn't one. But you know, how is that? And then you ask questions. Some of the questions that you all ask, I bet when you're going car shopping, are deep questions like, What's the safety rating? 
How are the seatbelts? How do these airbags work? What's the reliability of this vehicle? How is it rated for safety? All those kinds of things. Because even though, metaphorically speaking, no church is perfect, there's going to be a reality of accidents that happen, right? And you're going to want to make sure that, that the space is as safe as it could possibly be. And in, in, the in the church world, there's this question of, like, is this church a healthy place? And you can know that if you see that the community is trying to care for people who would often be marginalized. And you can know that if, if with, hum with humility, there's not space that's left for people to abuse power. And that gets called out in humble ways when there's unhealthy po power dynamics. So I know that even though any of you would say, I don't want to have a consumer mindset towards church, these are questions that are important. But I think there's a, maybe, maybe one of the most critical questions that often doesn't get asked when it comes to why, why church or why this church. And that is this. Is this vehicle going anywhere? Is it, is it going anywhere? Where is it taking you? Where is it taking us as a family or as a community? Is it dropping us off somewhere different than when we came in? Because if being a part of a church means like getting in a vehicle and like driving around and getting back, like driving around the block and getting out of the same place that you got in, metaphorically. That's like a joy ride. You can do that on your own time. I don't think that does answer the question, why church? And so if we're going to make the effort to get into the vehicle, now I have to admit, when I picture Mill City, if I'm like, what would Mill City be if it was a vehicle? I think we'd be like one of those 15 passenger vans, like kind of the boxy ones, of course, with no air conditioning. But, but, I think like some good seatbelts, you know, and we got to make sure we have those on. So if we're going to make the effort to get into the van, to say yes to a community, then I think that's a great question. Is this van going anywhere? The church is the vehicle for God's mission, and Jesus is in the driver's seat. You're going to need to ignore Carrie Underwood having ruined the Jesus take the wheel thing because Jesus does need to take the wheel, all right? Don't think about the song. Ooh, block it out. Jesus is driving. How about that question? When we look at a faith community, do, is Jesus trying to drive, are we letting Jesus drive this thing? I think that's a great question. So here's what I hope you would take away with you as this final why church and not put it on the screen. Because when empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church is God's vehicle for hope, belonging, and purpose in the world. And when I think about hope and belonging and purpose it feels worth it to me. It feels worth it to me as a, as a why that we would do this in the first place. Why would I come here every Sunday and spend the time with you throughout the week like we're all doing with each other? Why would we do that? Why would I continue to show up to lead a system that's as broken as the church? Because if, because if God's heart for the church is hope, belonging, and purpose, then I think it's worth pursuing that together, even if it's hard. When, the, when, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church can be a vehicle for belonging and purpose and hope. And even though I almost walked away from the church altogether, I haven't given up hope that God can still use broken groups of people. And I haven't given up hope that God can still use broken people like you and like me, a still slightly cynical pastor's kid. I believe that God can still do that. Let me invite the band back up. Here's my, my hope for us. As a part of God's church, as a local church, as a local vehicle for God's mission, here's my hope for us. 
I hope that the seatbelts work. I hope that we have a good safety rating. I hope that we remember to get our oil changed, whatever that means metaphorically. Because safety is going to matter, right? Safety is going to matter because if Jesus is driving, I don't know about you, but when Jesus is, is driving, when Jesus has the wheel, it's not always safe, but it's good. When Jesus is the one that's leading forward, there are things that will happen that will be an adventure, to say the least, but they're always good. And my hope and my goal as a team of leaders is to, to tune the radio to a station that helps you know the driver of the van better so that you can trust where he's taking you and where he's taking us. My hope is that when you get out of the metaphorical passenger seat every week, there's a place you find yourself in some place new with just a little bit more courage to engage with somebody who's different than you and just a little bit more courage to share your hope in Jesus with somebody else. My hope is that you would get out and you would know, I was just with those people, and so this storm that's going on outside of this van is not something that I'm facing by myself. My hope for us as a church is that we would be people who when we get out in this new spot, we would say, I'm ready to join in God's justice and mercy and love. And I'm ready to live out and speak words about the hope in Jesus. And along this ride that we have together, my hope is that you'll keep asking good questions. And be okay with people in the seats next to you coming to different conclusions. My hope is that we as a community would say, it is good to be in relationship with people who understand God and the world differently. It stretches me to be more of who God made me to be. And my hope would be that we would be a church that makes sure that there's a seat ready and open for people who are looking for a church family, that we wouldn't get so focused on ourselves. My hope is that we would be people that would recognize that there is a bond that brings us together, that there is a bond that brings this little community together. And it's not that we love the same radio station, metaphorically. It's not that we love the same snacks or the upholstery or any of that. It's not that we even think all the same things about the Bible or about God. My hope is that you will see that above all else, what brings unity in all of our diversity is the reality that this van is being driven by Jesus and we're all on board with that and that that is going to be the thing that we say okay we don't want to go in circles this is being driven by Jesus and that means it's going to be going in a direction on a mission that's only going to be accomplished if everybody joins in why church because when empowered by the Holy Spirit the church is God's vehicle for hope belonging and purpose in the world so I invite you to get in to buckle up because we have got places to go together and a mission to love our community in the name of Jesus. Amen?